0: It is trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist.
1: What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Al. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Your dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The price is wrong, bitch. 60% of the time, it works every time.
0: That doesn't make sense. week for recording, but he was willing to uh, let us send him questions and he was going to answer them. And then later on, I think we're going to in 2020, uh, actually get a chance to have him on the podcast. He's been busy filming and, uh, you know, working on some new projects. So it's been a busy time for him. So let's uh, we're hoping to at least get him on at that point. Uh, But we are very grateful to have him answer our questions and look forward to having him on the podcast. And. Uh as always I'm joined now by my, my uh co host Pat. How's it going, Pat?
1: Oh, I'm still alive. I'm still here to record.
0: Still live here to record. Uh, maybe dropping a little bit on, on uh you know, Skype a little bit, but we'll we'll see how it goes. Uh I think we'll be fine. But uh yeah, let's uh let's go ahead and, and dive right into it. We're gonna go right into episode 6 or chapter 6 of the Mandalorian called The Prisoner. And uh as always with these little episode reviews, uh we are doing them after the episode airs, but if you have not seen the episode, we might spoil some things, so if you don't want anything spoiled, go ahead and just pause the episode, go watch uh The Mandalorian and then come back and listen to our thoughts about it cuz we kind of talk about the general plot and then what we liked and what we didn't like about it if if anything. Um, so this one is is an interesting episode. Uh, you and I were, were talking off error that uh, this seems to continue to be another really good episode of the show. Uh, and I think even, even more so, it's more of an improvement. Even though I really liked last week's uh, episode, or uh, episode 5, um, I thought that this might have been a little bit more of an improvement. Now, the only thing I will say is that I feel... Like, this, w- most of the episodes have felt at least tanden- tangentially uh, connected, uh, but this one felt more disconnected, like, from the events of the previous episode going on into this one. It's just him kind of continuing around uh, Samurai Jack style, going from place to place with really no other purpose than he's going place to place because he's being chased across the galaxy. But uh, in this episode, we he stops off at kind of a... Uh, rogue space station uh run by ran who's uh i think his name's mark bishop uh Bernard, oh, i got his name wrong i i know that but you've uh, mark boone mark uh mark boone it might be his last name i know you're probably looking it up right now because i don't have my phone on me uh do you have it um anyways well no, i'm trying to get it well while, while pat's looking that up so i don't sound like a complete idiot uh he it plays the character Ran who kind of runs this uh little hub for kind of illegal activities and uh he is allowing Mando to kind of well he needs um the Razor Crest for um for a job and of course you know Mandalorian has to come along with that and you got it It's it is Mark Boone Mark Boone okay uh, I I've seen you've seen him in uh, Batman Begins uh, He's been in a whole bunch of bunch of stuff. Uh, you'll you'll know him when you see him on the, on the screen But yes, uh, he, he, he is kind of putting together this team to go uh, rescue uh, a prisoner uh, from the New Republic and we get introduced to some of the crew um, that would be uh, Bill Burr playing Mayfeld uh who was a former um imperial sharpshooter and there is actually a funny line about him saying he wasn't a stormtrooper so you know we're keeping the uh stormtroopers have really bad aim uh meme alive in uh in 2019 in the Mandalorian um and and I you and I were talking and uh, give me some of your thoughts on this but Bill Burr pretty much is playing Bill Burr uh, in this episode, except he kind of kind of manages his accent a little bit. What do you think?
1: I, I would say that he did do a good job of managing the accent because everyone that knows who Bill Burr is, you know that his accent is very thick. Yeah. But I would say that he still plays a very similar stick to what he usually does.
0: Yeah, he, he's a, he's a comedian, and so he plays a very comedic character. But he also. In his own in his own right he's actually uh a pretty pretty much a badass in this episode I think like we get to see some really cool moments uh and and also being kind of like a hard case like he isn't going to let anything kind of derail him from his mission and uh so then we're also introduced to Sheon who is a, a Twi'lek female played by um um uh, Natalie, what you you got it up right? Natalie, what's her last name? I'm gonna I'm want to say Dyer, but that's not right.
1: We got
0: ah uh, hold on. Normally I'm Keep more prepared off. for this. I'll, I'll get it. Uh, but I I didn't Tenna. have my phone next Na- to me. Natalia Tenna. Na, uh, Natalia Tenna, Yeah, so, uh, she was Tonks in uh in Harry Potter, and she was um. I can't remember the character's name in Game of Thrones but she was the wildling um, that was on there for a while. Uh she's a very good actress. Uh so she plays Shaeon, uh, a Twi'lek female who's a little bit on the crazy side. Uh we got another uh droid played by uh and I'll get his na- last name wrong. Uh Richard Iade or something like that. He's from the IT crowd. Uh if you saw neighborhood watch, she was in that very funny guy uh and he does the voice for for zero the droid uh who they need to kind of pull this maneuver off that apparently only the razor crest can pull off and um and then uh we got berg played by clancy brown uh who's a, a devaronian uh, even though i like to say dev devorian but that's just me Uh, Deveronian, uh, you've seen his species before. It was uh, in the Cantina scene in uh, A New Hope. He kind of looks like a devil. He's got two horns, skin's red. Uh, And my one little issue uh, as we were again talking off air before recording was the makeup uh, for his character. You said it best. You said it best. What was his makeup like? Uh, uh,
1: So basically how I saw it was (laughs) he looked like Hellboy but still, from when Hellboy was made, so that was probably what two thousand
0: four, something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, I mean, it's not bad, and and like I was telling you, um, Clancy Brown's up there in age, and I love the man; he's fantastic. I love anything I see him in, and I get that they're kind of you know trying to hide the age a little bit on that, but I, I don't feel like it was when you compare it to how it looked in A New Hope. A New Hope makeup looks better than what they kind of did here, but it still looks very good. I mean, it's believable. It's not, not anything like that. It just, you can kind of almost see the fact that it's not like someone's actual skin. Um, very much like with what they did with Ron Perlman and Hellboy. So you're, you're pretty right on there. Um, and so, We get them all on the ship. They're they're on their mission. they got to go find this kind of prison frigate that is supposed to be completely unmanned, only droids. Um, And, of course, we get some really good uh, interactions with uh, Shion and Mayfeld and Berg and Zero and and Mando. Like, they've got uh, some nice jokes, and they're going to try to force his helmet off. Um, And then, of course, they find Baby Yoda, and there's some really good uh, sequences there. Uh, they land on the ship, um, and they go in, and uh, they kind of finally, they cause an alert. Then the droids, the security droids, which uh, I don't know if you ever played Knights of the Old Republic uh, at all, but they looked a lot like the droids from uh, from that game. Uh, the, I think they were the HK droids, uh, but they they looked like that kind of design. So I, I'm wondering if that was kind of a reference or a little Easter egg to those old droids, uh, cause they, they looked really good. I, and then we get a really cool sequence with Manda basically taking out a whole squadron of them. Um, and, uh, they're on their, of course, way to keep, uh, f- to find, uh, not, they're looking for their prisoner, but they're trying to get to the control room first. And of course, as they get to the control room, they find that it's actually, there is one actual human on the ship Uh, we get a really cool intense standoff with, again, like this is what I'm talking about with Bill Burr being more of like a a hard case. Uh, you know, he, he's ready to just kill the guy straight up. Uh, and Mando is more like, Hey, let's kind of talk this out. Uh, and it's everyone, it's, you got your good old Mexican standoff. Everyone's pointing their guns at everybody. Uh, and he's also, the guard has a transponder that if he presses the button, uh, the new Republic is basically going to blow up the ship in 20 minutes. Like they're just going to not care about any casualties, which I don't know how I feel about that. That doesn't seem something like the new Republic would do just because of this transpond. Like we don't get an idea that the prisoners are that important that if they were to get out, it, it, it would be very detrimental to the galaxy and that would warrant basically an instant death kill. But, um, you know, it, it, it is what it is. It works out in, in the end, but uh, Shion kind of does her little thing and just basically kills him while, while the boys are arguing. And uh, still, he has tripped the transponder, so now they're in a rush. Uh, they get to the prisoner. The prisoner turns out to be Shion's brother, Quinn, who Mando had left behind previously on a, on a job to get captured. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh so of course the crew turns on Mando, they lock him up. Also while on the ship, Zero is still there. He's kind of uncovering some of the old logs and sees the grief cargo message about uh delivering the quarry to the Bounty Hunters Guild and it starts getting him intrigued on what's going on with Mando. Uh, and of course Mandalorian escapes. And this is where, I don't know if you picked up on this and I'll, I'll let you comment because I've been talking fairly long here. Um, I feel at this point when Mandalorian escapes and goes to the control room, the show is switched to a horror film. What do you think?
1: So I was actually going to bring it up but that it reminded me of like scenes from alien just kind of like the the lights going on and out and then like him moving like very fast around uh bill burr's character there oh
0: that was Uh, that was fantastic that that sequence how that was shot was was shot beautifully and uh this was directed by and you you said it i i can't say his last name but rick uh i'm gonna get it wrong oh uh Famuyua. Famuyua. Rick Famuyua. And I think he did a really good job, and the cinematographer on it did a really good job because that scene is just – it's beautiful. And if you're uh, susceptible to uh, epilepsy, it might might bother you because lights are flashing on and off, so a little warning there. Uh, but it does that kind of horror trope where you're looking at your – your, in, not in this case protagonist, but your person in peril – And they're being stalked and you see kind of, you know, at one flash Mando's there next flash, he's gone. And then of course, uh, Mayfeld gets kind of, you know, onto the idea that he's going to be right behind him. He turns, you know, turns around, but he's not there, but then he's actually now behind him. Uh, It's a beautiful shot, but he ends up picking off each of the, the crew one by one, very much like in a horror film. And, uh, And, of course, Quinn, who is uh, Shion's brother, of course, convinces him, well, you're not going to get paid if you don't deliver me, so we're going to work this out. Um, Zero, back on the ship, of course, Baby Yoda being cute Baby Yoda, kind of makes his presence aware, and Zero is kind of tracking him down, and we get this kind of fun little sequence where uh, Zero is about to shoot Baby Yoda, and he puts his hand out to use the Force, and uh, we think, or at least Baby Yoda thinks that the blaster bolt that was going to be shot from his rifle was repelled by the force and, and shot through the droid's head. But then we and he even like looks down at his hand, like, "Oh my God, I actually did that. And then you, it's revealed that it's Mando. Um, and finally, the kind of the episode wraps up with Mando delivering Quinn um, and then leaving. and also, being betrayed again which has become a kind of recurring theme uh it's starting to get a little overused right now because it's just it's every episode is him being betrayed by somebody and uh i don't know how many more times you can do that without it just feeling kind of recycled uh but mando left them with a surprise quinn still has the transponder we have three x-wings show up uh and they're all cameos, and uh, I, I I caught Dave Filoni's, and I knew Deborah Chow uh, was in it, and then uh, I looked later, and it was Rick, the director of this episode, was the third X-wing pilot, and they basically just blow up that station all together, uh, and then we get a nice little tag scene, and it's revealed that you know Mando didn't kill any of the the crew, he's kind of just locked him up in the prison frigate, so. Uh, that, that about wraps up kind of what happens in the episode. So, Pat, what what thoughts did you have on this one?
1: So I think a lot of what this episode shows is that there is still something in Amanda's past that really has a disdain towards droids. Oh, um,
0: I think we know what that is. Just based in, we, in what regards. So in the flashback, I believe it's in a, uh, episode two, um, when he is put in the kind of hideaway spot by his parents, the dro- uh, a door is open and it's a battle droid from the Clone Wars. It's a super battle droid. So I, I believe that when he was a child, it was during the Clone Wars and that there was a battle between the droids and the you know the Republic and that is what happened to his parents. That's been my take on it. That's what I've assumed.
1: That That could be it, but you never know. They could be going for something more deep that Absolutely. they're going to reveal later. Um, but I, just based off of the droid kills, like you can really tell that he is not a fan of droids by any means. Absolutely. Um, and and so the, uh, the scenes where he's hunting down the other guys, like to what you would think would be to kill them. Um, I'm really curious how they go about (laughs) explaining the door closing on, on Berg <laughs> and, and how that doesn't kill him.
0: Well, I think that they, they, uh, they showed that it wasn't like it shut all the way. He caught it on his shoulders and then he,
1: Well, and then the doors
0: come in from the side though. Oh yeah, that's right. I, I might've quite missed that a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> you know, he was still kind of laying down in that room. So we didn't see the extent of his injuries at the end of that episode.
1: Good point. Um, but moving on from that, I do think that this episode did kind of jump. Cause at the end of the last episode, you got the figure approaching uh, Chan's body. Yeah. And then, and then it just cuts straight to him doing this new job. And I, I don't, it, it was a little bit confusing at first because you thought it would have continued a little bit on with that. But. I, I guess at the same time, it doesn't necessarily have to because it has been a little bit jumpy around the entire time. So I'm, I'm not too concerned about that.
0: Right. Yeah, at least it just, not yet. It just felt like, uh, at least with the, the previous episodes, they kind of felt like they felt a little organic. Like they felt, like I said, kind of connected. Like we didn't need to know or like with with when he left uh, the, the planet with Yoda running from the Honey Hunter Guild, finding um the sanctuary planet and kind of trying to rest there and hide there and then kind of moving from there to uh was it from there to where did he go next was that to Tatooine? uh yes
1: yes yeah, yes no, he went to Tatooine. Uh, so to
0: Tatooine. so like that made sense but then yep. with you get that kind of like ooh, who is this mysterious figure? But then all of a sudden now we're on a space station out in the middle of nowhere. Like we don't even know exactly where in the galaxy he is. Uh, And then we have no other kind of references back to what happened at the end of that episode. Uh, It does feel a little less loosely uh, connected. But at the same time, uh, maybe since uh, we're getting episode eight a little early, uh this coming week because of Force or Force Awakens uh the rise of Skywalker opening up on the 20th um that maybe they're wanting to kind of have that addressed in episode 7 and then we're getting episode 8 the following week so we'll be having everything wrapped up in the first season in just 2 weeks so maybe those two episodes will be more of who is that figure where where is mando going to go or how is he going to have a chance to take a rest from running constantly, um, so we, you know that's all in the future, and we'll we'll see what happens, and you know we'll be glad to cover them. And I I still gotta say I hope season two doesn't take long to get here because I think they really have done a good job with this show. Even when some things don't work a hundred percent on it, it's still really good. And for people who have a strong distaste for the sequel trilogy, this is at least maybe something that can, that's appeasing them. Uh, maybe it's Disney doing a mea culpa, being like, okay, we've listened to you, we understand, we've heard your criticisms. We're trying to do something now that uh, is more in line with Lucas and more in line with, with the fans uh, and still holding true to what they want to do with their product. So uh, I overall I really like this one I think this one's going to land at a, a 4.5 out of five for me uh, what about you
1: I'll land I'll on the same thing there's one more thing that I really did not like at the beginning of the episode mm-hmm. is they changed they changed this beginning score and they added like a drum beat to it and if it just did not sound right at all
0: i must have missed that because i i might have skipped the i i did skip the recap in the intro so maybe maybe i missed that or was it right when it says the mandalorian
1: right when it says the okay. mandalorian
0: I, I must have not have caught that so uh yeah that'll be interesting to go back and, and rewatch it because there there is one thing i will say too is once uh episode eight gets out here and we've watched it all I'm going back and I'm re-watching the series. Like, I, I will binge-watch it at that point. And, and that's one thing I did want to mention. This episode is actually about a regular episode length of an hour-long television show. It runs about 43 minutes. And and you feel like this is actually a full episode of a live-action show that, that's kind of this, you know, action-oriented and everything. And, uh, and I think that that really helped because it allowed everything... To build, it allowed the, the interactions with the new crew, um, getting to know their personalities a little bit. Like we didn't go too in depth. And, and one criticism I did want to bring up uh, that you and I talked about off air, uh, Shion's, um portrayal as a Twi'lek. Like I, I didn't a hundred percent like it. I, I thought uh, she was good, but she brought too much feralness to it, like that we haven't seen from that species, and 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 really any of the other previous formats, like whether it be in like Rebels or be in Clone Wars or in uh, comics or the expanded uh, novels. Uh, And then when you like, when you meet Quinn, Quinn doesn't have any of that demeanor either. And you could say, well, it's the, you know, the male of the species is more of this demeanor and the female is more of this demeanor. But then, you know, then I jump to the dancer at Jabba's palace, who's, you know, so submissive and not feral at all. And so maybe it's just something that didn't work well for me. It might've worked for others, but, uh, that was one small minor thing I had about it, but I definitely will binge the show over again. I've already rewatched like episode one, like five times now, um, just by introducing some people to it and, and just liking what the, what the show has done. I've, I think I've rewatched the Tatooine episode about twice. Um, so, Yeah, I I think uh, I think they got a really good hit on their hands. And I think if they if this is the direction that they take the other Star Wars live action shows that they're going to do, like if Obi-Wan goes this route, um, if anything else that they decide to do. And even if they start making kind of some of I know they're taking a little bit of break from the movies after Rise of Skywalker, but maybe they're going to take a look at what Favreau has done here what the creative team has done here because it's been a very diverse creative team and they've all worked really well and I think that this all works in their favor to move on to do other projects I know Deborah Cho is doing the uh, doing the Obi-Wan show and I think she proved with her episode uh, that you know she's got a good good sense of style and what she wants to do and I think that that will be um, be a a benefit for the Obi-Wan show so Uh, I I hope that this is a sign of Star Wars moving up and that this whole fans versus the, you know, creators or the the actors or the directors uh, will start to go away, hopefully. But, um, yeah, that's all I got about saying. Anything else you want to say on The Mandalorian?
1: I I just want to say that they have left a lot of storylines kind of open-ended. Yeah. um, And with only two episodes left in the season, we're not going to be... If they try to rush and close those stories out within these two episodes, it's not going to go over well. Yeah. But if they kind of just carry it over into the next season, I think it would work better.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, 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 and I know what you mean, too, because like I, I'm just thinking about... You, know, you and I are going to do a, a future episode on a podcast about this uh, with what uh, the CW has been doing with Crisis on Infinite Earths. They've opened up a lot of... Uh, of interesting plots and and threads that i hope they don't try to wrap it all up by the end of that mini series but i hope that it'll be something that they'll continue on further down in the seasons and i think that that's possibly the intent uh, i think they wanted to put some morsels out there for other storylines uh i'm i'm almost guessing that we might get more episodes next season but that's uh, that's complete conjecture. I've not heard anything that actually will say that that's happening, but I, I really think that they they wanted to keep this small self-contained. They didn't know, you know, if it was going to appease fans or not. They didn't know how Disney Plus I mean, I'm I'm sure they knew Disney Plus was going to be successful, but not necessarily Groundbreaking successful, and it's had its hiccu- hiccups here and there, but uh, overall, it's been a very good streaming service, and I've I love the content I found on there. Uh, you and I will be covering Noel on their Christmas episode, and, uh, and so I, I have this feeling that you know they're probably going to be able, especially once the MCU shows start uh, in 2020. I think we're going to start seeing maybe some shorter shows. Like I think the obi wans going to be about six episodes, but that's one that I don't necessarily want like 10 seasons of an Obi-Wan show. I want, you know, maybe one or two seasons. I think it's only planned for one season and six episodes, but you know, just enough to see what's going to happen there. And uh, I think with Mandalorian, especially since they have 30 years worth of time to be able to, dive into anything else between uh, Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens, they have an open playground, an open sandbox. So I don't feel like they're going to. I could see them maybe doing it, but I I don't think that that's the direction they're going to go in. All right. Well, I think that's – do you have something else? I know
1: that people are probably – Oh, I was going to say that people are going to take – your your conjecture at how many episodes that there were and just say oh there's a 24 episode second season coming yeah
0: no i i would i would say maybe 10 i think 10 would be the what they would extend it to because that's that's about average now 10 to 13 when when you look at the netflix model or the hulu model uh or even the amazon model that's that's about average uh you know most amazon shows are eight episodes Uh, and most Netflix are 10 to 13, but sometimes they're eight, you know? So yeah, that's, that's my, that's my conjecture is they might extend it to 10, maybe 13, uh, especially if they're going with 30, if they continue with 30 minute episodes, that's, that's the direction I kind of see it in, but I think that wraps it up for Mandalorian. So what we're going to do now is, uh, we're going to play the trailer for In Utero and, uh, we're going to be talking about that. So enjoy the trailer. that was the trailer for Inutero. i know that uh you know for an audio format that's probably not the best for you guys but i would recommend you can go catch it out on youtube uh and uh see you know what was going on there and the score was is really fantastic so I, i don't mind that being here in the in the podcast episode but uh we covered mater um a while back now and that was um part Two but really kind of the first part of this two short form uh, short film series that David uh, directed and they, they uh, he decided to kind of re-edit it and uh, combine both pieces together. He's added a new score uh, and so now it tells more of a of a coherent story. I think one of our major criticisms that we had was we didn't know the context of the greater story we knew of the existence of Ouroboros but uh we both hadn't seen it prior to Mater and although Mater is the uh best place to start because that's kind of how the things in Ouroboros are kind of explained um so not much is different uh, on the Mater aspect so we're gonna probably kind of brush through that uh because we've already covered it here on the podcast. Uh, but what uh, I did like, he did uh, make some changes. Uh, it looks more now as if you're watching kind of a, a home film. Uh, so it's kind of more of a, um, you know, if you're looking, thinking of like a th- film projector type thing, uh, it, it looks more like that where it's kind of got the black surrounding it, the cube that's showing the image. Uh, we do get the the year that it's set in. It's 1888. Um, And so it kind of just runs through, you know, it's, it's again. uh, Now, one thing I picked up and I don't know if you picked this up, um, but he does have kind of a a synchronicity happen uh, with uh, the young woman who is going out to pick herbs and and stuff for her mother. Uh, Her mother's deathly ill, uh, but she pricks her finger on, on a um, plant And, uh, then in Ouroboros, uh, the second half, the young girl who we assume is the descendant, uh, or of somehow from, from this woman, uh, she pricks the same finger as well. Uh, so it's, it's almost kind of like a fate thing or a destiny thing. Um, but again, kind of just running through the basic story of Mater, uh, her mother's ill. She seems to be a fairly religious woman, um. She gets, uh, runs into this old man who tells her, you know, I've got these herbs. They won't cure your mother, but they will ease her pain. And uh, the man magically disappears. She goes back. She makes a tea from the herb. Um, and her mother then passes away after drinking from it. And this uh, causes her to go flee out into the woods uh, and then comes across this Demon, whether it be the devil uh, or some other um, um, uh, malicious force uh, who then kind of uh, conscripts her to its service, that then dooms the future generation that we cover or that is covered in Ouroboros. Um, and the nice, like I think we were talking about uh, where. Ouroboros kind of that the term and I do like that David kind of puts the definition of Mater at the beginning of Mater and of Ouroboros in front of Ouroboros. Um, we, you know, it's kind of this thing where it's a self-fulfilling cycle. Uh, it's constantly, you know, come caving in on itself or not caving in, but repeating itself. Uh, and so we get some really good transitions and one thing that changed, uh, that he added to Mater was some kind of flash forwards uh, to Ouroboros and some some scenes from it that uh, kind of hint at what this force had in plan uh, for her and for her progeny and um, and then of course with Ouroboros uh, young girls going out she finds herself drawn to the woods and to this uh, kind of castle uh, and then she comes across this uh, this evil spirit who we see is the uh, spirit of the woman from Mater. Of course, they're all played by the same actress, uh, Lan. If I get her name wrong, I, I apologize. Nakawa uh, or Nikoa. Um, and and she's trapped there. So one thing uh, you and I were talking about uh, off air that this really kind of now seeing it in this grander context Um, It really reminds me of an H.P. HP Lovecraft story called The Rats in the Walls, which deals with this kind of ancestry um, shadow where this man uh, goes uh, overseas. His son was a a soldier who decided to stay in Europe or in Britain uh, after the war and had found uh, some ancestral uh, homestead that belong to them. And uh, then of course he dies and the father goes over there to kind of see what the house was about and, and possibly take it over and uncovers this dark secret about the family. And that's, I, I, I don't know if David's taking his inspiration from there. Uh, when we have him on, uh, next year on the podcast, it's definitely a question I'm going to ask him. Um, because this is a lot about the choices that we make and how they affect our offspring down the line, whether it be you know immediate or down like years in the future, uh that you don't even know it's going to affect them. So I I really applaud it. Um I, I really kind of wish that I, I want to see this in, in an actual movie. And I said that with Mater when we uh reviewed Mater. Um I I like the idea he has here. It's very competently shot. It's got a beautiful score. I know he's got a new score for this um, than previously. Uh, the actress, Leah, is is fantastic in it. Um, and I, I'm just, the story has me so intrigued. So even the shortcomings I might see in it or the issues I might have with it not being uh, expansive enough on the story I'm I'm still intrigued. Like it's got me enwrapped in it. it, it want, I want to know more, and I want to see uh, David maybe get the chance to at some point make it in make it into an actual uh, theatrical length film uh, to maybe dive more into the story. Because I feel like we're just getting kind of the prologue with this. Um, so. Those are kind of my my overall thoughts uh, about about it, uh, Pat. What do you what do you think?
1: I do think that this provided a uh, a better understanding of the storyline for me, um, watching the whole thing all the way through. Because when we reviewed uh, Matare, I, I had only watched that. I I didn't watch Ouroboros. Same, same. Uh, uh, prior to that. And um, is that the prologue really works well and with them going back and doing that story after the fact rather than doing it the, the other way around. And I think that it really shows his, um, his techniques really work. And I think that in the horror community, it's harder for people to take a, an original story and then do a prequel after the fact. And I think that his work does it really well and it provides a great backstory. Whereas other movies like say Annabelle was not as good of a, was not nearly as strong as a uh, prequel that we would have wanted.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, and like one, one thing that, um, I noticed is, uh, especially since not having seen Ouroboros first, um, but then seeing it in the context of, of in utero, um, I could say that I, I've seen from, watching that uh, you know seeing that as the second half the improvement in his own technique the improvement in leah's technique as an actress uh you can uh, just in the competency and the way that the film shot that the story unfolds um you can see kind of how he has developed as a filmmaker uh just in this brief time between making those two shorts um just in this, because you can see that uh, things in in, uh, Mater are a lot uh, more polished. Uh, It flows a little bit better. But then again, like this as uh, a combined story still really works and it works fairly well. Um, And I, I have to applaud him for that. And that's kind of the thing about being an indie filmmaker, just being an indie creator at all, if you go back to earlier episodes of this podcast, uh, everything wasn't firing on all cylinders for me, uh, but I learned techniques. I, uh, you know, got a new computer. I, you know, just studied some things on how to do better editing, to how to do better uh, layering on audio, um, and then being able to integrate trailers and, and uh, an opening song. That, you know, we're constantly growing in our craft, and uh, the best way that uh you know one can is by getting support from people in that community and I th- I think he's totally earned it uh, I really want to see him succeed and I want to see uh, I want to see this as an actual movie like I want to see this in theaters. Uh, I like the fact that you can go watch this on prime it's included in prime or if you wanted to go to YouTube watch it on YouTube he doesn't require you to have any uh you know put any money towards it. Um, you know, he's putting it out there for free for anyone to come across. Um, and I, uh, would highly recommend anyone who watches it and they like it to go on to Amazon and review it because that will help, uh, you know, promote the project and get it out there. I know I need to get on the Amazon and, and do my, uh, review on it. Uh, but yeah, I, I, really like this, uh, as a collected piece. I think it's a good, maybe, um, Presentation to a like maybe a, a production company or uh, you know, a studio to say, Here's a proof of concept, this is this is my idea. Uh, I think there's merit here. Can we make this into an actual full length film? And uh, and it's got its moments. I mean, like, oh, for being as into horror as I am, it's really hard to like get scared but there are still moments for me that really kind of creep me out in this. Um, and like we were talking off air, uh, the contortionist bit, uh, Oh, that hurts. That really hurts me when, when she does that, but it's so effective as well. And I I think that that's what also shows promise in his, in his work. And I am definitely going to be following all of his future works as well. um, So I think uh, as a collected piece, I think I'm going to land on a four out of five with it. Um, I, the only thing being is I I want to know more, I want to know more story. I want to know what happens to this young girl now that she's kind of trapped in this building uh, and what this entity really wants. Like what it, what did he do or why did he want her in service to him? And what is that purpose? And I think we would get that if, he can get the backing to do an actual full-length film.
1: Uh, I'm, I'm going to land on this same score, um, and I think that my my take on it is that as the individual works, he did have uh, different techniques that he used, um, and I think that it could have flowed a little bit better if they were, like, integrated. yeah. Uh, even throughout him but I, I think that it, he probably wanted it to be separate so you can watch them independently and not need to have one for the other
0: yeah yeah I, I don't disagree and uh I'm going to apologize uh here right now. I, I'm not, we've already had to stop a couple times while we've recorded this today. Uh, we've had some weird audio connections. Uh, I think for the most part, everyone can get the gist of what, what you were saying there. Um, but I know you're on a, on a little bit of a time crunch right now. Uh, so I think, uh, we'll, we'll end it there for you and I on the podcast. Um, we've talked about what we've wanted to talk about and, uh, I think, uh, we were going to kind of go and tag team the interview stuff together, but, uh, I know you've got, um, you know, something coming on and, and, uh, I don't want you to have to worry about running late for it. So we'll go ahead and, uh, let you sign off, uh, right now, and then we'll move on to the interview, uh, aspect of the podcast. So Pat, have a good one and we'll, uh, we'll have you on next time
1: sounds good, man. You take
0: care. All right. See ya. All right, guys. And so now we are moving into our, our interview with, uh, David, um, apologies again. He really wanted to be on the show, but his, uh, schedule was, uh, uh, you know, kind of busy. He's working on a new project right now and everything. So, but he was willing to take some time out of that busy schedule to answer our questions that we had for him. So Um, We're going to go ahead and get into it. So our first question was, uh, give us some details about your background in film. Where did you get started, your education, uh, anything else? Well, uh, David's response was, I grew up in Portugal and I started studying filmmaking in university when I was 18. I've got a license and professional degree in directing, which helped me build something at that time. Uh, I was an intern on TV, I worked on a documentary for TV, uh, and I directed and was part of the crew for a bunch of shorts during college. It was only when I came back to France in 2013 that I wanted to explore and create films my own way. The good thing about learning filmmaking in Portugal is that I tried almost everything, from sound to editing, which now helps me out to be multitasked, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, Our next question was, what drew you to film in the horror genre? Was horror a preferred genre, or was there another genre that you were more interested in? And David's response was, since I was young, I remember enjoying films and drawing mermaids. Yeah, I always had a theme for sea creatures. I I was very creative at a young age, so I knew that I wanted to create. I didn't go to art school for some reason, but I realized at the time that science wasn't fulfilling enough for me, and art was the one when I decided to go to film school at age 18. I remember being 12 watching Species with my sister, which freaked me out a lot. After that moment of complicity with her and knowing that my cousins in France had a lot of VHS horror films, I wanted to watch them all. I Know What You Did Last Summer was my favorite. I love Sarah Michelle, and that chase scene mesmerized me every single time. I always had a very deep connection to women, and I knew I wanted to work with women in film horror is one of the genres that puts actors in difficult situations where they need to reach limits they thought they couldn't and I wanted to try that I wanted to direct uh, I wanted to direct films and direct actors and into those moments of pure terror and witness the magic other than horror. I've directed an LGBTQ drama uh, once which was great and different and I'd love to try that again. Our next question was, is there a particular message or meaning that you're trying to present in your short film mater? and his answer was uh, Leah Nicoa and I worked together before with another short form, short film called Ouroboros. After shooting that film and having that intense experience together, Leah contacted me to uh, to tell me that she wanted to explore that character again. Mater means mother in Latin. We wanted to go back to go way back in time and tell the story of that horrible monster character we find in that castle in Ouroboros. What was her origins? Why was she trapped in that castle? Why the girl that goes into the castle has nightmares about that place? Are they related? After all this brainstorming, Leah came up with the idea Leah came up with the idea. We worked a bit on it, and that was and that was it. We wanted to explore the horrors of that beautiful character and made her, how devoted she was to God and her family, and how naive and innocent she was to everyone around her. We wanted a raw, cruel, and honest portrayal of obsession. Our next question was, you have said Mater, that Mater is a part of a series of projects that you're working on. What are some of those projects and how they fit together? And his response, I answered a bit of that in the last question. Mater is in the same universe as Ouroboros. We released Ouroboros first, not knowing we wanted to explore that character further. And then we made, that prequel called, made the prequel called Mater. After a while, we wanted to explore that character again, but I didn't want to do another short film just for fun. I wanted to create something to be able to link them together in one film. I thought it would help people understand its roots and see it in another light. And that's when in utero was born. And this is just personal commentary right here. I would agree. Uh, I think as you heard Pat and I talk about it, uh, we both felt that this made it made more sense. We understood the connection better. We knew we finally understood what the events of Mater meant because we both were not previously exposed to Ouroboros. So I think they've done a really good job with that. So moving on to our next question, is there anything about your new project in Utero that you want to talk about without giving anything away? In Utero, the Cursed Collection had its world premiere December 13th on Amazon Prime in the U.S., U.K., Canada, New Zealand, and Australia, and YouTube and Vimeo. I'm so excited about this release. It's the full package of Mater and Ouroboros. I spent almost two months post-producing it. I was out of my mind when I realized I was going to take this long. I gave my heart and soul to this project. I wanted it to be perfect. Leah uh, loves how it turns out. Uh, How it turned out, and I'm so happy she enjoys it even more than the two shorts individually. In Utero has a new score, Brilliant, made by the third. It has new visuals, new shots, different takes, and a different feel, for sure. Very special. And again, personal commentary, I'd agree. Uh, I originally wrote the question because I didn't think we would go really in-depth into it, so I apologize that we might have given some spoilers away about it, but you yeah, uh, know we're human we make these mistakes but uh yes we thought that those new shots uh that were in there um really helped kind of elevate it from where it was and um uh, that uh it the new score was fantastic for for this um new uh compilation so moving on to our next question uh, are future projects that you planned uh are there any future projects that you planned or in development that you would like to talk about or promote And his answer was, I just finished filming a new short horror film. I wanted it to be called Inspiration, but I'm not sure I'm going to keep that title. It's not an official title. Uh, This one is so different from everything I've done. It's the first one I directed in a while with different actors. I organized a casting in Paris, bought the clothes, filmed the short in my flat, but I had to change all the decorations and create a new atmosphere. It's going to be crazy, a lot of blood and shock. It's very colorful, and it has deep meaning and touches feminism, so I can't wait. I'm now starting the post-production, so maybe in January we'll have a teaser and hoping for a film festival circulation through 2020. And moving on to our, our next question, what are some aspects about filmmaking that you enjoy or dislike? Uh, His answer: I love the indie family, how we all support each other, and how we are really a team. It warms my heart having so many great connections on Twitter from around the world, people that are willing to retweet and help reaching out our voices. It's beautiful. I dislike the ego battles throughout the process of filmmaking. You know, working with people and finding out they're not that multitasked or even remotely interested in learning, giving out opinions, helping out, just takes up a lot of time on set and sucks out sucks all of my energy. We don't need that. If you think you're, um, oops, sorry. If you think you're the director and you don't like my film, man, just don't apply for the job or don't even bother to show up. I can agree with you on that one, David. I had the best experience ever this past weekend in my new short film. Both actors were great, supporting, and they were ready to do it again and again and again. We talked films, passion, films, passion, and I made friends. This is filmmaking. I mean, at least independent filmmaking. We're all here for the same shit. And even if it sucks, we try our best. Egos aside. And again, personal commentary. I totally agree. Uh, I've worked with, you know, other uh, podcasters I've mentioned uh, in the past with Crystal. And we've both been very supportive of each other. Even when we are being a little harsh on ourselves, uh, we've been there to help each other lift up lift each other up and uh that's kind of the whole point and that's why i am such a proponent for indie uh creators so, you know it's uh it's easy when you have money and you have all the equipment and ability to be able to do the, these things but some of these people uh us included we're doing this all on our own uh we're putting our own blood sweat and tears into it and we want everyone to succeed so even when we provide a criticism on here and i mean we've had some uh I've watched some really bad, low budget indie stuff. And I think you've heard Pat say in the past that uh, I still find something I like about it because that's the whole point about it, you know, is it's people taking risks, it's people taking chances. And uh, why should we immediately step in just because something didn't work for us? Uh, and and kind of then shoot that creator down and be like, you can't make anything else out there because all you make is trash. Um, so, yeah, I totally, totally agree with you on that, David. I mean, it, it is uh, some of the great things. And then when you do run into those kind of ego uh, obsessed people, it, it does get a little tiring from time to time. And that's just not even related to or not limited to uh, the filmmaking industry, podcasting industry. I can just tell you from personal experience from my my full-time job that that's an issue when egos clash. So uh, I I totally agree with you. So we're going to move on now until uh, we're on our final few questions here. Uh, Can these be watched independently and do they tell their own unique story or should they be viewed together to understand the overall meaning story or message? and David's response is you should watch Mater and then Ouroboros if you want to do it in the timeline but you can always watch In Utero since it has both films in it and I would recommend uh, personally my commentary uh, that you in utero is probably the best version of being able to watch these I, I, it flows very well uh, it, it feels more of like an actual connected piece of work uh rather than two separate pieces and they do feel like they they directly relate to each other so i would agree with david um moving on to our next question are your special effects practical cgi or a mixture of both and do you have a personal preference of one over the other and David's response was, special effects I use are practical, didn't have any opportunity to work with CGI, but he's more of a practical person, so I would say practical or both. And I, again, personal commentary, I'm I'm on the same boat. Uh, I think when you look at some of the practical effects from the 80s, or if you even listen to our Terminator franchise review, um, our talk about kind of the practical versus CGI then, I think if you use CGI in moderation or if you have the budget of a Disney film, uh, your CGI can look really good uh, and very passable. But if you can make it look as real as possible with practical effects, I, my opinion, that's kind of where um, – where you should should end up doing it if you can. If it's something that's too outrageous, uh, at least try to make sure when you're using CGI that you're doing the best that you can. That's my personal opinion. And uh, so we'll move on to our final question, and then we will uh, see you guys uh, uh, next week. Uh, so our final question was, where can people find you, your work, or support uh, your future projects? And so his, you can find him on Twitter or Instagram at David DavidEmmanuelet. Um, And we'll have all of these uh, links in the show notes. Um, You can follow his Facebook, uh, David Emmanuel Texaria, if I say his last name correctly. Uh, His production company, um, you can follow Dorsale Films on Instagram or Facebook at Dorsale Films. And uh, he thanked us very much for doing this, and we are very appreciative that you took the time to answer our questions. Uh, I, it's been really great to get to know you, and uh, I look forward, again, I've said it several times already, I look forward to having you actually on the podcast, uh, even just so you can lecture me on how to say your last name. Uh, but it's been really good interacting with you and getting to know you on Twitter, and um, Getting to, to learn of your works and follow your works and uh, and see the passion that's there. And again, this is why I keep hammering independent creators, independent filmmakers. Uh, there's so much promise. There's so much more there that I, I want to see your success and I want to see more work from you and I'm excited for your future um, short that's going to be coming out in 2020 uh, and I'm I'm hoping you're not done with the universe of Inutero and uh, Mater and Ouroboros. I hope uh, you and Leah can come up with um, some more uh, stories to explore in that universe. I really want to know what happens and, and where this all ends. Uh, so Uh, Guys, uh, if you are not following him on Twitter or uh, on Facebook or Instagram, follow him now. I think you will not be disappointed. Uh, I think he's a talent to definitely keep an eye on. I look forward to the point where he can actually uh, get the – the, uh, the backing for a full length film uh, and I can only continue to hope, uh, wish that he has the best of luck and again I can't wait to see future projects so that's going to do it for this week of the podcast um, if you're not following us already you can follow us on Twitter at CriticsNTCynics um, uh, you can follow the podcast on Podbean Spotify, Apple Podcasts uh, and Google Play uh, please, if you're if you're subscribed on iTunes to leave us a rating and a review, it really helps the podcast uh, grow and reach a bigger audience. Uh, again, we have big plans in the future and we want to you know provide you with more and better content and uh, some future as we've already kind of teased, uh, you know, in the Terminator episode uh, are some of our future projects, uh, our future episodes. Uh, our Christmas episode is going to be our next one, and I believe we're going to be reviewing uh, the Disney Plus original Noel as a, as a fe- feature-length review. And then we will be going into uh, – I th- we may be reviewing another one. I need to consult with Pat uh, and see if uh, he wanted to cover that one as well. Um, but then we will be doing our – top 12 Christmas films and then we will be talking about kind of some of our favorite non-traditional Christmas films. Uh, Basically, Christmas horror films or anything that might... Be Christmas adjacent Uh, So I'm really looking forward to that one That's probably going to be a fairly long episode uh, Since we will be talking about A bunch of films And uh, I'm sure we're going to have Competing lists But we also want to have audience participation So we would like if you would send us um, You know, you can send us an email At criticsnotcynics at gmail.com Or DM me At uh, criticsntcynics on Twitter With some of your favorite Christmas films, traditional or non-traditional um you know some things that you guys do on your own as a family tradition or just some that you think are your best ones uh, that that you know blow the other ones out of the water we really want to be able to uh hear what you guys have to say and and uh comment on it and uh i know we've already got some from uh the cage kiss cage kiss podcast uh they're a great group of people, and uh, they're on CastBox, so you should, guys should go follow them and listen to them. They cover Nicolas Cage films, and uh, it's it's a really good time. So, uh, yeah, that's going to do it, and uh, we'll have our next part in our Terminator franchise review. Uh, I want to say it's going to you know be on a regular schedule, uh, like on a Wednesday release, but... It's just going to be when Pat and I have time. We're coming close to Christmas, so it's going to be really hard to kind of schedule that. But uh, we're going to work it in, and he's in the process of moving back to good old Ohio, so it'll be a lot easier for us recording when we're recording in person. Uh, I do want to apologize again for some of that audio quality drop. Skype was uh, being a little uh, finicky with us, and we were working along with it as we're recording, but uh, it was getting to a point where... Uh, it just was, it was getting, uh, too much and too frequent to, to deal with. But, uh, I know he wanted to be here for, for this interview aspect, but, uh, he also had, uh, you know, a scheduling conflict as well. So we, we were a bit of a time crunch. Uh, so, okay. That, I think that's going to do it. I've rambled on long enough. We'll see you guys next time.